This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Again, we have all eyes on Ottawa today. Will police move in to clear the trucks and protesters who are still there and who are preventing residents from going about their daily lives? Opening their businesses, taking kids to daycare, making sure emergency vehicles can get through. By the way, much of this is what the protesters say they are demanding. We've all heard the stories about the bad actors, the swastikas, the assaults, and the rest. Still, it's pretty clear that the Prime Minister underestimated that this has struck a chord. And in the midst of this, the Conservative Party's leadership crisis has come to a head. Aaron O'Toole is facing a caucus vote today. Will he survive it? And even if he does, is his position as leader tenable? What do you think? The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Adrian Batra, Editor-in-Chief of the Toronto Sun, Robin Sears, a crisis communications consultant and former NDP strategist, and Tasha Kerrigan, Kerrigan, excuse me, a principal at Navigator and national political columnist for Post Media. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, let us begin with Robin. You live in the Ottawa area. Uh, has this affected your daily life? Oh, it sure has. I mean, we went downtown for a doctor's appointment yesterday, and uh, if you wear a mask, you get shouted at, obscenities hurled at you. It's impossible to move around the city. The noise level last night was almost as bad as on Saturday night. It feels a little bit like we're under siege. That's uh, that's the word that I've heard to describe it. Tasha, uh, I was very interested in a column uh, that I read of yours yesterday. You're a conservative, but you had some pretty tough words for uh, kind of uh, who the protesters, and many of them, you know, uh, are certainly uh, not what I would call extremists, but who they're, uh, who they're making common cause with. Well, and that's the issue, um, is that if you don't call out people who are standing there with flags, Confederate flags or Trump signs or, you know, swastika-laden Canadian flags, if you don't tell them to basically pack up, go home on the spot, you're going to be tarred with their brush. You're going to be seen as standing with hate as well. And that's the problem is the visuals coming out of this and and also just the sense of, of what this is about has been overtaken by that narrative. Um, but it's up to the people on the ground to have pushed back against that and the politicians too. Um, and, you know, saying after the fact this shouldn't have happened is not the same as as doing it when you're there. So so I think it is problematic for the Conservative Party. I think it's problematic for uh, conservatism in general and, and its definition and sort of the, the leaking of the sort of the, the I guess, the Trump ethos, uh, which is populism. It's not conservatism up and south of the border. So I think that explains a lot of what we're seeing also about what's happening to Mr. O'Toole today. And uh, we'll, we'll know that decision, obviously, later as the day goes on. Adrian, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, there are uh, so many people that were wanting to be part of this uh, protest rally, et cetera, that I believe were there for their belief, for what they believed in. They wanted the end to the mandates. They were is- they had issues with the with the policies that have come forward from both the provincial and federal governments. And and that was completely overshadowed by the 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 lack of regard for what was trying to be said and you know this this country, this great country of ours has uh, the ability to get has given the ability for canadians to to speak out against their governments with you know little uh little repercussion and none of that narrative none of that messaging is is now uh it out there, and they they weren't able to uh, capitalize on on what they 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 believed was their their voice. They needed their voices heard, uh, and because they feel it's unrepresented. And you know, I, I think that there is 
the 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 residual that is still you know uh, the hangovers that are still there. I mean, they are going to stick it out. Um, maybe it's an occupation at this point, but they're not going to get their list of demands met. They're not going to have those meetings. And frankly, what public support they did have um, is, is, is gone. And so now it's just an, a nuisance, as, as Robin has rightly uh, pointed out, you know, fussing people in, in, in the city that are trying to get on with their lives. Uh, that is, um, you know, it's unfortunate. And, and, you know, there's a whole culmination of events that um, have, have brought us to this point today. Um, but the, the or, but the protest um, benefited no benefited very little. Uh, Tasha, you have called Aaron O'Toole a dead man walking. Uh, yes, I have. And from reports I'm hearing this morning, that's probably going to be the case. He's uh, apparently not getting the, the warmest reception um, at the meeting that he's in. The meeting's still going on, but um, it's uh, it's uh, a lot of a lot of uh, tension and anger. Um, and I think it's partly because it's not just the substance, but the style that he's had, um, the prevarication, going back and forth on so many decisions, and even last night. Um, sort of confirming that, saying that he would be willing to change party policies if people kept him around. But that feeds exactly the problem, is that people didn't know where he stood. Was he the blue Tory that he ran for the leadership as, or was he the more centrist that he came out as during the campaign? And since then, he hasn't been able to assert himself as leader within the caucus. There's been continuous grumbling and continuous eruption. So it's... Um, I, it's it's not looking great, but we'll know what the caucus decides uh, as the time goes on. Uh, Tasha, we are going to say goodbye and thank you to yes, you. We continue. I'm so sorry. We continue with with Robin and Adrian. Robin, uh, it it from the reporting on it anyway. It looks like Aaron O'Toole will not be able to keep his job. But even if he does, um, what is it exactly that he's keeping? Yes, indeed. I mean, he, he'll he be very wounded by whatever the outcome is today if he's not, in fact, um, dead. <laughs> but, you know, this is Groundhog Day for the Conservative Party one more time. <laughs> yeah. um, they have not had a leader leave office voluntarily in 75 years, with the exception of Stephen Harper and Brian Mulroney. You have to go back to George Drew before most of us were born. Um and this is in the DNA of the party, sadly, for, I think, a very uh, difficult and difficult-to-resolve uh, reason. There is no such thing as Canadian conservatism. There is progressive conservatism, libertarian conservatism, economic and social conservatism, and they don't sit very happily inside the same tent. And it takes an incredible strength of leadership to keep it from flying apart regularly. But it will surprise you to hear me say this. I'm very conservative about party behavior as it relates to internal um, structures and and, uh, conduct. Um, Nobody should be permitted, as Andrew Scheer did um, a few days ago, to openly defy the leader, or as um, Polyev does regularly in stirring up his leadership campaign by uh, creating huge dissent in the caucus. They should have been thrown out by a leader who wanted to hang on to his job. So I'm, I'm sorry to say that this is simply going to benefit uh, one tribe, and that's the Liberals. Adrian, is this uh, just the inevitable result that, you know, you had a merger that was a very difficult merger between red Tories or progressive conservatives and the Reform Party, and you had a very strong leader in Stephen Harper who uh, kept it together, but and neither Andrew Scheer nor Aaron O'Toole is like Stephen Harper. Yeah, I've, I've heard um, some conservative commentators refer to it as the sort of the Frankenstein of holding, you know, a, a various factions of the party together. As you mentioned, Prime Minister Harper was very successful at that, with the help, of course, of Peter McKay, because when the when the parties came together. Uh, but both Shear and O'Toole have had struggles within their leadership for various reasons. If we go back to Andrew Shear, the Maxime Bernier um, wing, shall we say, of the party, which sort of emerged and then ultimately became this this fringe for the People's Party. 
you know, you would you would hear that internally, Shear didn't do enough to reach out, that his team was, it was sort of my way or the highway, and there wasn't a, a collaborative uh, effort made to to have uh, Maxime and his supporters continue in, in the Conservative Party fold. With Aaron O'Toole, you hear it's the, the flip-flops during the election. He is inconsistent um, in terms of what uh, conservatives stand for and what they want to, um, to stand for. And further, again, back to this notion of, um, you know, the team behind him, uh, you know, running roughshod over caucus, not keeping uh, all, all, all threads uh, weaved together. So there's so many competing narratives when it comes to this. I'm going to take a call from James in Toronto. Hi, James. Oh, hi. Uh, my question would be for the panel. In 2017, I believe Andrew Scheer narr- very narrowly defeated uh, Maxine Bernier for the nomination. And now Maxine Bernier is often described of as fringe or extreme. But I guess my question is, have things changed that much in in the last five years? Or is that the, really the way the Conservative Party is, like 50% of them? could go fringe or extreme and be described as such. Um, and I'm wondering, because of that vaccine burden, almost became the leader. That's true. Uh, Robin, do you want to answer that? Well, that was a different Max. I mean, <laughs> well, that's true, too. No, nobody would have dreamed uh, that the son of a great Canadian conservative politician and a guy who showed some promise earlier in his career with a few gaffes would have turned into the voice of white supremacism and racism in Canada. It was just an astonishing conversion. But I don't, I don't think the caller's being fair in his characterization of, of Canadian conservatism um, as it's lived on the ground by, you know, the millions of Canadians who would identify themselves as that. They're not wackos. Um, it's a very small percentage of the party and its activist core who are creating uh, all of this uh, nightmare for the party. And sadly, you know, there's only one way of dealing with that. And neither Sheer nor O'Toole understood what Stephen Harper did, uh, which I, you know, didn't approve of the Harper government or its policies. But in terms of his ability to function and keep control in the party, one has to be admiring. He was a very tough disciplinarian and made it very clear that he would brook absolutely um, no dissent uh, at all on pain of expulsion. Um, Brian Mulroney, similarly, at the very beginning of his uh, leadership, had a group that wanted to defy bilingualism. Um, and uh, he simply met with him and said, no one who takes that position will be in my caucus. Is that clear? Um, There's a certain level of incompetence, I guess. I can't put it more kindly than that in the exercise of leadership in the last several, uh, well, as I said at the beginning, in in every conservative leadership with the exception of Stephen Harper and Brian Mulroney. And the combination of those two things, that is to say, a loud, fractious dissenting group uh, with a leader not capable of shutting them up or disciplining them, has led us to today. Well, it's a, it's a pretty loud group. Adrian, you know, um, Aaron O'Toole uh, put out this post on Facebook and he said, you know, as a party, they have two choices. One is this dark path of uh, very right wing extremism and the other is, you know, to the center and being the government in waiting. And there was a lot of criticism after that, that that uh, he uh, annoyed people even more by painting them that way. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think that there was, um, you know, his attempt, like Aaron O'Toole's argument has, has been that, you know, this is a, a party that needs to, needs to modernize and needs to be far more um, electable in certain parts of the country where they frankly are not electable. And so that's that's his argument. So he comes out with that statement yesterday um, that, of course, is going to just uh, already perturb those 35, let's say, that are, that were, are looking for his ouster. So, but what about the remaining? What, how does that, how do they take that, that message? Um, 
to be sure, on this call, you know, um, the Toronto Sun's Brian Lilly is live blogging it. Um, we, we have our sources that are telling us, you know, it's, there's, there's still a lot of support for him. Uh, we don't know how the vote's going to go, but he has perpetually miscalculated his own party. And, and I'll give one example. When they were at the convention, um, for, just shortly after he was elected uh, leader, they put forward a position um, with respect to uh, that that global warming is indeed um, uh, that climate change is indeed you know uh, man-made and and whatnot. Um, and it's a it's it's the acceptable position. It's it's all of those things that uh, majority have come to appreciate. And frankly, I think a majority of people who would consider themselves to vote conservative, not necessarily party goers. They didn't have, you know, the vote. And so the leader lost the vote on the floor. And that's embarrassing. And so there's, there's a whole bunch of other examples that we can, we could dive into that are akin to that. But ultimately, the, the, the leadership style that Aaron O'Toole was trying to, uh, put upon the party seemed and, and continues to appear, uh, not genuine. Who is he? Who, what kind of conservative is he? And he didn't get buy-in from the caucus. And so if you can't get buy-in from the people that are uh, carry your political flag, how are you going to get Canadians to vote for you? Let's take a call from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hello, Libby. Thanks for taking the call. Um, you know, I initially went in the last convention. I never really was a big Andrew Shear fan. By the way, I am a long-time a long, long-time conservative person like my mother. But at any rate, um, Andrew Scheer never really had the great support. Aaron O'Toole, I was more in favor of Peter o, uh, McKay getting in there. But having said that, in the last election, a lot of the diehard conservatives were after O'Toole because he said, well, look at this, he's moving to the left. Well, Libby, I don't care whether it's conservatives or Canada or Republicans in the U.S., that's the way the public young people are leaning there. You know, climate change isn't fake or any of this stuff. If uh, Aaron Toole made the right decision to move slightly to the left with some other decisions um, in order, he recognized the way the public mood was. And if these old-time conservatives are going to stick by their ways, you know, there'll never be another conservative uh, government in Canada. Uh, Well, that's a long time to predict, Ron. Thanks for your call. (laughs) Never's a long time. Pardon? Never's a long time. Uh, Robin, if he loses today, uh, does this represent a hard right tack? Well, I think the two most likely candidates to succeed him are Candace Bergen and Pierre Polyev and, you know, the usual collection of people who will come three, six, seven, eight, nine on the ballot and don't matter much will be added later. Um, I think Ms. Bergen is somewhat less histrionic than Poyev and somewhat more thoughtful as a leader. I'm not sure she's strong enough to deal with this continuing internal um, bloodletting. Poyev will lead the party to ruin. Um, He uh, is going to face, I would guess, within days, liberal fundraising commercials on social media with him positioned beside truckers urinating on the war memorial. Um, he, it's just going to be a devastating blow to his reputation that he took this stand. And it sort of begs the question, as Kenny and, and others have pointed out uh, to the party, changing the leadership does not solve the problems within the party. It probably exaggerates them because there'll be more hard feelings as a result of the campaign. Um, and I just hope that some caucus members in there today are saying to themselves, do we really want what's going to happen after this if we dump yet another leader? <laughs> Um, I want to read, uh, I, I got an email from some close friends of ours who live in Ottawa, and this is, they live in the Glebe, which is close to Parliament Hill. So this is this is what they're going through. So they said that uh, on Sunday, uh, they had horns blaring and flatbeds and more than a, p- a few pickup trucks yelling at them to F Trudeau. Uh, that it it wasn't a huge deal. They cut off a pedestrian mother and child, but nothing happened. Uh, then they headed to a Popeye franchise, 
where the terrified shop clerk was yelled at to remove her mask. Uh, they have a friend uh, who I guess used to be their nanny. She works in a hotel now, says that they use the washrooms and stay there. Uh, most are rude and angry. She and her co-workers are yelled at to remove their masks and they call them names because they're immigrants. And um, she said they take their st- the stairs with their carts, try to uh, avoid them. And, you know, we just heard the organizers saying they're not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, the police understandably want to avoid violence. But, uh, Adrian, how long can, can they let this keep going? Well, well, I suppose they can let it keep going and as long as they feel that uh, they are are still getting attention. Um, no, I don't you know, mean the truckers. I mean the police. How long can they allow the, this to continue? Police. Well, I, Canada has had occupations in the past. We've seen it uh, from, from various groups, um, be it uh, railways or, or uh, resource development construction. Uh, it, it's happened before. Capital, Adrian. Pardon me? Not the national capital. Nonetheless, this, this is uh, this is this is part of what is at issue is that a message they were attempting to push across, get, uh, put out there, and get support for is lost by the ongoing um, hanging around. You know, it's it's the it's the last party goer that just won't leave. Um, Eventually, this this will come to an end. I'm I'm quite confident it will it will not end with any um, violence or none or or, or or things like that. But as long as we just stop, they had to stop being get, uh, getting attention, and uh, eventually things do go away. Um, but uh, you know they've got to keep they're keeping an eye on it. Um, I'm confident our law enforcement will do um, everything they can to make sure that uh, the public is protected. But uh, I, I can't imagine them lasting much longer, Libby, honestly. Um, well, I, I'm that, not so confident. Uh, I think there will be violence this weekend. Um, we've, we've seen a lot of very close to disastrous flare-ups that only good luck prevented from serious injury. Trucks, well, we should uh, certainly hope that that's not the case. Like and, the, and the, apparently, the, there so much. Sorry, apparently uh, they want to do something similar uh, near Queen's Park. Yeah, I think the political pressure here is really getting quite difficult for politicians at all three levels of government to resist demanding an end to this. The mayor is under a lot of pressure, um, the various liberal members provincially and federally, and I suspect even Poyer, uh, who represents the suburban Ottawa riding, amazingly. Um, I would guess that the police are going to do something if this goes into the weekend, and I would be surprised if they can do it without some pushback. We've seen what happened in Alberta yesterday where some of the trucks rammed a police car and tried to run over an RCMP officer. I don't think that will happen here, but I don't think this is going to end quickly and peacefully. Hmm. Let's uh, take a a quick call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. Uh, One thing, I voted uh, for Pierre Elliott Trudeau, I voted for Bob Ray, and I'm a conservative. So just to give you, a, you know, I, I know that shocks you, Libby. No, you're but, eclectic. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the gentleman you have on there w- using words like extremists, uh, with a, uh, as far as the conservatives go, I couldn't ad- uh, couldn't disagree with that gentleman anymore. But as to the conservative party, and I am a voting member, I vote for leaders. Um, uh, what are you? So uh, what would you do? You want uh, O'Toole to go? Yeah, I didn't want O'Toole in the beginning. I said it uh, to my friends, my conservative friends that are interested in politics. I said, this guy's the worst thing that ever happened. I thought Sheer might have risen to the occasion, but he was just, uh, you know, he was just a wet blanket. But to me, this is, you know, a a correction in the stock market. This is a correction in the Liberal Party. The Liberal Um, Party or the Conservative Party? Sorry, the Conservative Party. So, uh, basically... O'Toole took uh, Patrick Brown's team and the people that actually oversee this and and, and try and guide these leaders and and build the empire, they are the problem in the party. They've just missed the boat. And I think this is going to get rid of them and we're going to actually get a real conservative leader. And as far as Maxine Bernier and Sloan, you know, you paint these guys as uh, racist. 
and I'm fed up with it. The, the prime minister's calling us misogynist and, uh, and, and racist if they're truckers. You know what? I'll tell you what a misogynist is. It's the guy that gropes a woman, and a racist is the guy that dresses up in blackface. And I'm fed up with being demonized, the Conservative Party, the truckers. Uh, It's absolutely opened the party back up, turned it into the real Conservative Party that it was. There may be people in there you don't like, and there may be people you do like. But with the current way they're going, they're basically Trudeau-Lite, and they, they... us conservatives have no use for no use for O'Toole. Okay, Leslie Lewis would be a great opportunity, and she will get there. But I think today it's Polly Evans. Okay, we'll see what happens, Bill. Uh, so there, there are a lot of people, and I get a lot of emails. Uh, I, I don't know if you do too, Adrian, from people saying you're painting these people the wrong way. Just because they're swastikas doesn't mean that they're white supremacists. Um, uh, Adrian, what do you think of of those complaints? Well, I, I'm not sure if they have studied the same history books that I did. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I think there is a un, an unfair element where uh, any group of what would be considered conservative gathering are a bunch of, um, you know, racists and sexists and misogynists. I, I think there is an unfair element to that. So I, I appreciate what the, the caller was saying in, in that regard, because the last person that has any moral authority to call out anybody, frankly, is Justin Trudeau when it comes to um, questionable decisions. But that said... The problem conservatives have, and it happens on the left too, but in this instance, since we're talking about it, the, the con- problem the conservatives have is that notion of individual uh, thinking, right? They're not collectivist thinking, so, you know, everybody can just sort of go off on their own, do their own thing, and there's no, there's no um, you know, organized uh, thought to it. And, and that's part of their issue, not only with the party, but on issues like the, the, the trucking situation. And I do want to say something with respect to Pierre Polyev, who everybody is sort of propping up as the um, inevitable winner if there is going to be a, a leadership race, which could begin tomorrow in earnest. Uh, Pierre Polyev is, has benefited from not having to rein in caucus. He has benefited from um, holding critic positions that give him a platform and an opportunity to have a big megaphone. But being be. leader is a very different thing. And so I don't... Uh, I don't know if if that is um, the road to go down. And uh, frankly, I don't know how much support he has amongst caucus members. So, you know, you've got 119 people around that table, Libby, that all think that they should be prime minister. Yeah, he's a big it, showboat. He's He is. Um, and he's an effective communicator. Oh, absolutely. John, We've had him John on the show Baird, lots of times. But John Baird, for example, under the Harper government... He didn't run for leader. You know, he was the pit bull. He went out there to to hammer the opposition when it when it was necessary with different type of that. So so I would be cautious of any buddy that automatically says, you know, Polyev is in. So there's uh, there's so many um, fact- factors at play here, and not the least of which is who benefits from all this. You know, Robin already rightly said a good day to be a liberal, and it probably will be for some time. But the the heart and the the soul of the Conservative Party is is uh, in the balance. Other parties have gone through it after the Martin Kretchen era. The Liberals went through it, and then Justin Trudeau was able to stitch a, a, a left leaning um, you know group of Liberals together to to carry, hold on to power for the last seven eight years. So Conservatives, if they want to get elected, they got to figure this out. Okay, uh, I'm going to give, uh, we're out of time, so I'm going to give Robin the last 20 seconds. What would you like to leave us with, Robin? If I were a conservative and I were looking for a new leader, I would look widely outside for a good healing politician who may not be nationally prominent, but who isn't implicated in the bloodletting on one side or the other. I don't think anybody from inside the Civil War is going to be able to position themselves as a healer and a uniter. Hmm. Interesting take. Uh, and, and Robin, of course, in one of your I- incarnations, you were a, a very good headhunter. So <laughs> perhaps they should listen to that advice. <laughs> Thank you very much, Robin Sears and Adrian Batra. Pleasure talking to you. Great Thank to you, Libby. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, 
oops. When we come back, we're uh, switching gears. We're going to talk about some very disturbing carjackings uh, and the result of an eight-month police investigation into these car thefts when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Yesterday, police announced the result of an eight-month investigation into a cross-border high-end car theft ring. And it's not just a crime of property. These thefts are becoming increasingly violent. The seven people charged are allegedly behind 28 carjackings. And police say the crew used various techniques, including intentionally hitting the vehicle or swarming the victims. And even more scary, the perpetrators used handguns, knives, and even tasers. Um, what do you think? Are you worried? We've been hearing about an increase in car theft for a while. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I'm joined by Inspector Richard Harris from the Hold Up Squad with Toronto Police Service. Hi, Inspector Harris. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi, how are you? Thanks. No problem at all. Uh, so, uh, uh, a very long investigation, uh, that nets, uh, seven people. Is, is it just these seven people or are they connected to something bigger? So, uh, I gotta be mindful that this is still before the courts, but, uh, it, it definitely leads to the belief that this is, these, uh, these individuals were not operating alone. Um, we are still looking for one more gentleman that's, uh, gonna be facing some robbery charges as well. Um, but th- this was a sophisticated group of individuals, uh, and somewhat, uh, whereby they, they managed to, uh, you know, unsuspectingly rob, uh, these victims of several high-end vehicles. And, um, fortunately we were able to, uh, to get them back. But I mean, that doesn't speak to, uh, you know, the traumatic incidents that, or events that these, uh, these victims had to go through. Well, uh, that's right. I mean, what seems most disturbing here beyond having your car stolen is, uh, is the violence that was involved. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So on occasion, they would, uh, you know, f- use physical force to, uh, to remove, uh, the victims from the vehicles. But at other, on other occasions, they, uh, they use a taser, um, handguns and knives were used. Um, you know, and, that's of great concern, obviously, when uh, when suspects are utilizing weapons and or acting as violently as they were. These weren't just quote unquote car thefts; these were actual robberies, uh, where these uh, these victims were subjected to, you know, uh, various levels of violence. Uh, the vehicles involved, they were high-end vehicles. I mean, the the first four you list are, you know, not that common on the road. Lamborghini, Rolls, Royce, Bentley. But uh, honestly, uh, when I'm driving around, I do see a lot of Mercedes and Porsches. That's uh, right. Uh, uh, so uh, it, it, was it just focused on these really high-end vehicles? Yeah, the investigation uh, revealed that they were all high-end vehicles. So we had, uh, like I said, some Porsche, Lamborghinis, Bentleys as well. Um, there was a BMW involved as well. Um, That's kind the, of mezzo mezzo. Yeah, and just the you know, it's just all high end vehicles that they were targeting, and obviously the motive was for profit. Um, the investigation revealed that uh, these cars were destined for out of province and actually out of the country uh, on some occasions. And they were shipped uh, in their entirety, or chopped up for parts, or what? In their entirety. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've heard stories in the past that, that actually the customers for this overseas kind of put in their order. Maybe you get something stolen to order. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a great working theory. Um, I guess any one of these vehicles, um, well, they all fall into just certain categories. Again, high end, so I'm not too sure who the, uh, the end user was intended to be, but, uh, yeah, definitely a taste for the high-end vehicles on this in this investigation. And it was is this has this all been exacerbated because uh, right now because of COVID the supply chains are clogged up and and even if you want to get it in the legitimate way and pay full freight which has gone up uh, it's it's not that easy 
to get a new one of these cars or a new one of any car, frankly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, whether or not this is a result of the pandemic, it, uh, it, you know, this has been going on for a while. Um, we have seen an increase in car thefts, uh, period, uh, over the last few years, from 2019 to uh, 21. Uh, I believe it was a 20% increase. Um, you know, the, and the motive in this case, like I said, was for, for profit, but there's, there are other, uh, trends as well. Like sometimes cars are used, as you mentioned, for chopping up, uh, and being resold within the GTA. And then also you've got, uh, theft of vehicles that are utilized for, you know, various other crimes. So, uh, the Toronto Police Service is, is going to be forming a new unit to deal with this? That's right. Well, yes, um, in part. So, uh, the divisional uh, police uh, partners throughout the uh, the city are doing incredible work, and uh, this is just going to be a, a larger scale um, investigative group that's going to supplement uh, the fine uh, officers that we have throughout the city. Uh, and just uh, before we go, you know, beyond this uh, Operation Taurus, you know, a few weeks ago we heard that regular cars are being stolen more, especially uh, since you have uh, keyless starting and, and now it's winter and people leave the cars going to warm them up. Uh, uh, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, so there, yeah, the warm-up thefts, um, of course, this time of year, are, uh, one of the, uh, we actually just, experienced one of those recently um and again it would fell into the category where the vehicle was used for you know a crime i mean preventative uh, measures if you're going to warm your car up at least keep an eye on it if you could um or uh, as mentioned uh, previously you know block that car in uh, with another vehicle if you can while it's warming up but uh, i guess the best case scenario would be uh you know keep an eye on your vehicle and you know be aware of your surroundings at all times if you can and um you know, just just try and find other methods to ensure that your car doesn't get stolen. Uh, you know, there's the the lock, the the steering wheel lock, like the club. Um, invest in some sort of security footage uh, cameras if you were able to. You know, just these preventative measures may deter. Um, you know, would be thieves and uh, the loss of your vehicle. Anything else you'd like to leave us with? Oh, that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, uh, Inspector Richard Harris. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for your time. Bye-bye. Take care. Right. Uh, We are going to take another break, and we are going to stay on the subject of cars and driving. Uh, Has anybody filled up lately? Did you get a load of those gas prices? It's pretty shocking what it costs now. It is affecting people, I'm sure. And we want to hear from you about it. The number is 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And we'll be back on the other side of the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Have you filled up lately? I paid nearly a buck fifty-four a liter the other day, and I gotta say, it's a shock. Nearly half of drivers are very worried about this, according to a survey by the CAA. And what is behind the increase? And Can we expect it to last? Do we have to get used to this and stay used to it? And if you have questions, the number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Teresa DeFelice, Assistant Vice President of Government and Communications for the CAA in South Central Ontario, and Roger McKnight, Chief Petroleum Analyst with NPRO International. Thank you both for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Roger, let's begin with you. So what is behind this current spike? Well, there's a certain uh, there's uncertainty really when the uh, on the supply of crude side you got crude uh, the most important segment of the uh, input in the, in the costing of gasoline uh, heading towards ninety dollars a barrel. Uh, the, the concern I, I see here is that uh, OPEC and OPEC Plus have said they're going to increase uh, 
production by 400,000 barrels a day, and that was supposed to start in August. Well, they fell short in December, and uh, I have very little confidence that they can uh, maintain that promise uh, to increase supply. So uh, when you look at the supply of uh, crude, uh, gasoline, and diesel, uh, the the uh, the inventory levels are like they're down nine percent versus the five year average. Yet when you look at demand, the other side of the teeter totter, uh, generally speaking, uh, the demand for gas, uh, distillates, and jet fuel is up. So, at this time of year, uh, gasoline prices are more driven by uh, the diesel price because this is the heating oil heating oil season, the heating season. So, when you look at that, you got the inventories of uh, distillates. Uh, down 16%, but you get demand up 15%. To top it all off, we got refinery runs uh, slowing down. Uh, not uh, uh, this is this is quite normal at this time of year because they go into refinery maintenance uh, season to get ready for the summer driving period. And on top of that, we have uh, uh, the, the situation in Russia versus Ukraine, which could really uh, mess things up insofar as uh, supply is concerned, generally speaking. So it's a, it's a pretty bleak picture. I don't know what the CIA uh, have to uh, comment on that. So let's well, let, let's let's ask the CIA. Uh, how is this? affecting drivers, as far as you know, Teresa? Well, um, you know, based on surveys that we've done uh, across Canada, actually, you know, people are very concerned about the the price of gas. Um, And, you know, for the most part, it it is impacting the kilometers people drive. Um, And so, you know, our focus is is how, you know, what can you do to get better fuel economy? Uh, And, you know, that that really is... um, something that you can personally do to just to, to try and conserve as much fuel as possible in, in the tips that we provide. Roger. My question is, how, how would you do that? Uh, people have been uh, basically lo- locked in their houses for about uh, two, going on to th- three years now. They're very frustrated. They they see the uh, the pandemic vaccination program tending tending to work, and so they're they're getting back. Uh, they're getting getting out from behind the curtains, getting on the road, and getting to, to work and getting in the airport and trying to fly out of this country. Well, that's, that's the thing is that, you know, people are noticing the price of gas because, you know, they're, they're trying to get out more. You know, we've got things opening up again. Uh, most people, you know, probably are using their car to get to and from work at this point, uh, you know, take care of family, maybe the odd friend, you know, see that or do grocery shopping. So there's not a lot of, I would say, discretionary uh, vehicle use at this time for the most part. Um, and so, you know, it, it, people are starting to get a little bit of that sticker shock, uh, shock when they're heading to the pump. Uh, Roger, yeah, it, you it, mentioned, my, my Roger, what, may I uh, just ask a question here? Um, you mentioned the Russia-Ukraine situation. How yeah. big a factor is it? And, and do you think uh, we have to get used to these high prices? Um, I don't think anybody can get used to these high prices, but the, the fact of life is that gasoline prices in Canada aren't made in Canada. It's, it really follows whatever happens in the States, and crude oil, the main factor in the price of gasoline, is determined on a global basis, so we have very little control. People may say, well, Canada has the what, fourth largest uh, reservoirs of, of crude in the world, yet we are relying on or, or our prices are referred to uh, prices in the United States. It's sort of so there. There is no border when it comes to the price of gasoline in Canada versus the U.S. Uh, do you have a projection at the CAA, Teresa? Uh, no, I mean that's not something that uh, I can tell you myself. Um, you know, at this point, it, it's. Uh, very unclear as to how this is going to go. And I think that, you know, we're, we're even seeing it in terms of the number of gas calls or as part of your CA membership, uh, you know, we're seeing more people getting to that point where they're running out of gas. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, you know, we did a little analysis between this January and last January and, and the number of calls for gas is up. And, and so people are taking some safety risks, um, you know, in terms of letting their vehicles run out of gas, which is really dangerous. And, and it's not great for your car and, and fuel economy at the same time. But, you know, the last thing you want to happen is, you know, run out of gas on a highway or, or uh, live lane of road. Um, and that's a big concern as well. What are some of your tips for conserving gas, even though, as you say, most of us are not, you know, using our cars excessively? Yeah, I mean, we have a few tips. I mean, I, I would say with this time of year, you know, people have a tendency to want to, 
warm their cars up for a long time. And, you know, yes, it's nice to probably get into a vehicle while it's all warm. But that, that running of your car is, is probably unnecessary for a really long time. Um, and, you know, this even just letting it warm up naturally as, as you drive after, you know, 30 to 60 seconds. Because for every uh, 20 minutes of you sort of idling, and, and I know they're not warming up their car for 20 minutes, or if you're leaving your car running for 20 minutes, you're using up to a liter of gas. So that's a big one in terms of, um, you know, just trying to alter that behavior, that habit a little bit. Proper vehicle maintenance is a big deal. Getting regular oil changes, definitely checking your tire pressure uh, meets the vehicle standard or requirement for your tires uh, is, is another big one. Um, reducing speed. Um, you know, anytime you start to, to drive more than 80 kilometers an hour, you're, you're really impacting your fuel economy. So I know it's counterintuitive to be on a highway and you want, and we've got open roads right now. We're seeing a lot more speeding. So first of all, let's all be safer, not speed. Uh, because when you can keep your speeds a little bit lower than, you know, or around the 80 to 90% mark, you're going to, you're going to be, uh, saving some gas and obviously saving some emissions. Um, combined trips, if you can avoid sudden starting and stopping, maybe not traveling, you know, during rush hour, if you're going to get groceries or, or run an errand, uh, to avoid that constant start and stop and, and that delay that you drive, you know, that longer it takes to drive your car. And if you have things that are weighing your car down or if you haven't taken off that roof roof rack from the, you know, the summer camping trip or the summer cottage, uh, take that off. Because that drag is also creating um, more pressure on your car and that uses up a lot more fuel as well. Roger, again, back to uh, Ukraine and Russia, it mm-hmm. just seems that there isn't necessarily going to be a resolution anytime soon. What, what, how is that impacting and, and what are you looking to as the next thing that will affect prices? Well, the big thing is, is natural gas. If natural gas gets to be uh, out of reach insofar as price and supply is concerned in Europe, Europeans will turn to the U.S. to pick up the slack by supplying uh, liquid, liquefied natural gas or LNG. With the liquefied natural gas uh, demand uh, goes up as I think it will, that will uh, force uh, the consumers in the, in the United States and North America to look at alternative uh, supply of a, of a fuel, which would be which would be uh, diesel or, or middle distillates uh, from a cost point of view and from an availability point of view. At this time of year, it's uh, diesel prices that really drive gasoline because it isn't the driving season. So if we have a sudden increase in demand for uh, fossil fuels like diesel and jet fuel south of the border and north of the border, that's going to automatically pull up gasoline prices in sympathy. And uh, and then uh, who knows what happens insofar as prices are concerned. This is also coming into the refinery maintenance period where refineries naturally slow down, so inventories... Uh, 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 demand that starts to drop, but so do so do inventories. So things are are all pointing in the wrong direction. But the Ukraine Russia situation is is, is uh, quite serious, and the thing that I'm watching more than gasoline prices. Teresa, every time I'm on the road, it seems to me that I see more and more trucks, more and more large vehicles. Is that? Uh, I mean, you would have thought that high gas prices would impact that trend, but you know, again, anecdotally. Um, I don't see it. Well, I mean, demand for consumer goods is still there. Uh, you know, people may not be making the trips to the stores. They may be ordering online, but uh, warehouses have to be stocked and, and stores, uh, you know, have to be uh, filled. If you're talking about passenger vehicles and bigger trucks, like, you know, um, uh, you know, that require, you know, like heavy pickup trucks and things like yeah. that. Uh, I mean, it, there is, uh, you know, People don't often, when they're sometimes contemplating what vehicle they drive, think about fuel economy. Although, I, you know, I think that's changing. And when we do, what we do see when gas prices rise is more people are taking a look at the fuel efficiency of a vehicle or even wanting to consider or explore alternative fuel vehicles, you know, even electric vehicle technology. Um, so, you know, is the next vehicle going to be an, an electric vehicle or a hybrid electric vehicle because gas prices are so high and people are trying to modify um, what they're driving in order to accommodate that. 
Okay, uh, I just have uh, huge breaking news right now, uh, so I've, I've got to switch gears a little bit, but this is just breaking. The Conservative Caucus removes Aaron O'Toole as the leader. Uh, the vote is in, uh, so this means he's gone. The next step will be to appoint an interim leader and set a course for the leadership. Uh, we were talking about this earlier in the show. It was triggered when uh, 35 MPs wrote a letter saying they wanted to trigger this process. Um, it, it all came to a head during the course of this trucker convoy that is still in Ottawa. Uh, O'Toole flip-flopped on his position about it, but this is, uh, this is pretty, uh, I don't know about shocking, but it is pretty big news, and uh, it sets a stage for the third leadership contest since 2015. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing for the party. So uh, Bob Comsick is going to have more in his newscast, uh, and... Um, uh, I don't think it's going to be affecting the price of gas. So, Teresa, back to the everyday on the price of gas uh, to wrap things up more or less. What what are you telling consumers? You know, there we have tools like the CAA gas price monitor that people can you know take a look and, and see what gas prices are uh, in their communities. Uh, find the cheapest gas. You know, that's an option. Um, you know, definitely, if you're feeling like you can't fill up your tank because you're you're hoping for a, a price drop, you know, don't don't let your vehicle get to empty. So, you know, put some gas in your car, and and take a look at some of the tips that are available on the CA website that uh, can help you just make small changes and hopefully impact a, a little bit, uh, so that um, while we're getting through this, uh, we're, we're each doing our part. Okay, Roger McKnight. Last word to you. Uh, the gas prices are a necessary evil. Uh, we're joined at the hip, at, at the pump, until the, the electric vehicle is a, an, an affordable and uh, accessible alternative. We are going to be uh, the gasoline and diesel where the fossil fuel people and look out for prices this uh, in the next couple of months. It's going to be astronomically high. You think they're record high now? Well, look out. Well, okay. Thank you so much, Roger McKnight and Teresa DeFelice. Appreciate your time. You're very welcome. And once again, breaking news out of Ottawa. The Conservative Caucus has removed Aaron O'Toole as the leader. Bob will be having more on this uh, in the newscast that is going to begin right away. That's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.